0: This is the AZ Brandcast, where we explore Arizona's brand and the brands that make Arizona. I'm Mike Jones. And I'm Chris Stadler. Welcome everybody to AZ Brandcast, where we talk to all sorts of awesome people about the power of brand and how to build great brands in our remarkable state of Arizona. We're your co-hosts, Mike Jones and Chris Stadler. And Chris, you're going to intro our amazing guest today. So yes. About
1: this. Ben Bodner. So Ben's been like actually become a friend to both of us separately, right? We've had separate conversations with Ben, so we're privileged to have him on the podcast. Ben Bodner is currently the CEO founder of Steady Install Inc., which serves as an on-demand virtual platform for the commercial furniture installation industry to hire supplemental labor uh, for interior installation projects. Uh, previously been co-founded and served as president of Choice NY New York Management, a third party real estate service provider that offered property and asset management, building staffing and owner, rep, internal residential leasing services. To the tri-state area and i looked up tri-state area because i didn't know what that was apparently it's new york city and then counties from connecticut new jersey and new york that are that are that are close to that area right is that right ben you mean three state? the tri-state area it's not yeah. it's not like all yeah. of connecticut all of new york all of new jersey it's actually new york city and then some counties from each of those states that are
2: is that right um I think when you are in the tri-state area, it's just a word you throw around. Um but yes, technically that's correct. First time I've ever had this conversation about the tri state, but yes.
1: You got well, it. Well it's it's crucial. It's crucial that we nail that <laughs> since we've brought it up. So I like to define the terms. Thank you, Ben. All right. Sh- let me let me okay. just jump into it because I wanna add this icebreaker question is super so having a startup guy on the podcast, what I want to know, and this is a question for all of us, your, your, the, the worst or most overused startup advice that you've ever heard, whether that's like a refrain, just something that you hear said all the time. That's just like, that's not quite right. Or maybe it's just overused.
3: Um, I think I
2: would have to go with the complete focus on revenue um, and about getting to revenue and get as much revenue as you can. Um, And not that that's incorrect, uh, but it's, I think it was a bit of a sign of the times where everything was just about revenue and there really wasn't much focus on profitability or, you know, is this a real business? And it was just, get revenue, um, that was what everyone said. Um, and I don't think that, uh, uh, I don't think the industry is bailing companies out anymore just based on revenue. I, I, I think that you have to have a real company because if you don't, what happens is, what we all just saw, is companies that were, you know, just growing and trying to get going based on revenue. Um, You know, when we're throwing tons of expenses at it to, to get that revenue, had a hard time, uh, if they needed to do a fundraise when the music stopped and everything that's been going on started. Like
3: musical chairs and there's no chair left. Yeah. And
2: then, Uh, then, you know, sit on the floor, uh, you sit in the corner. So a lot of those companies got stuck. Um, you, go, you go eat and, birthday you know, cake because you're done, man. Well, it's, it, 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 it's not their fault. Um, right. But it, it was, you know, I, it's like flipping houses, right? It's, it's good until it's not. And um, timing is everything. And so, you know, always everyone's like, just get your revenue. get as much revenue as you can. it's, you know, can work at times. And if you time it right, it works. And if not, you got big problems. Luckily, I ignored that advice, you know.
3: <laughs> is that um,
2: that's has no interest weird. in revenue,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: none at all. Uh, is that indicative of just like chasing that initial customer, uh, like the new the new acquisition, rather than like thinking about more like holistic term of not only do you have to acquire a customer, you got to
2: keep them. Right? Yeah, it's it, it, it's just kind of how far down the line you're thinking and um, rate of growth is crucial. Um, If you don't kind of make sure that you are prepared as you grow, uh, you lose the revenue that you bring in and you're constantly starting over. And at some point you will run out of new relationships to, to learn off of. I mean, that's the whole thing is you're trying not to, cut your teeth on your client's dime or your client's time. Yep. And so, you know, it, 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 for me, uh, it's not really been a choice. It's just kind of how I operate my, you know, my risk tolerance. Um, I'll, I'll take a little more time and, and sleep a little better and have it be a little less chaotic uh, and ultimately grow a little slower from a revenue standpoint, not
3: necessarily from profitability nice i already
1: know this conversations is going to be awesome it's starting out really well mike what is your uh all right worst and i'm out i'm out <laughs> i'm done then thank you guys expectations <laughs> are <laughs> super high now ben exit. timing
0: is our thing
1: that's right
0: <laughs> you want my uh mike your worst, worst. advice most uh, I I don't know. I don't know if I have, we were talking about this earlier, Chris, like it's like the advice that I hear floated around with a lot of startups. It's usually good advice. Like it's not even like the overused oversimplified or, you know, it's like at some point that was like legit advice. Right. And then maybe it just gets applied to too many different companies. Um, And I don't even know how many people actually use this phrase anymore, but the like fake it till you make it type of advice kind of drives me personally nuts. Um, that probably has more to do with my my bias toward authenticity and building a brand. Uh, but I think there's like an aspect of it that I think is true, right? There's an aspect of fake it till you make it means like, Hey, have a vision for what you want to build. It doesn't exist yet but like start working towards it. And I'm totally cool with that, right? Like have a vision for what it is you wanna be. Um, And yeah, you're not gonna be that on day zero. Um, But if you don't have a plan for it, and that's where I kind of like, I see a lot of people using that advice to basically mean I don't have to have a plan, right? I just like go say stuff and if I speak it, it'll happen. And I'm like, well, not really <laughs> so, so you're not against you're not
1: against like dressing for the job you want that sort of thinking like no. you know hey you 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 know dream about it think about it start acting start acting it out but you're saying have some substance like yeah have some substance, substance now right yeah
0: um and like ultimately it's like if, you, if you're gonna go pitch like those investors, if they're at all savvy at any level, they're going to see through any of your kind of like BS, fake it crap. Now, granted, like you still have to have a vision, right? Like that's part of what they're buying into. Um, But if you like don't have a team and you don't have the rest of it thought out um, and of course the financial side of it, it's (laughs) Uh, like, it's just not going to, it's just, they're going to be like, great. You're an idea, but tell me more, like, give me something more than just an idea. Um, and I, I just, I, I don't know. And I think there's a level of like, you can take that to an extreme as well, even within your like marketing communications where it's like, you know, Hey, we're going to pretend like we're a 500 person company when we're three people sitting at a card table.
3: Right.
0: And it doesn't mean that you need to like peel back the curtain and show everybody every last dirty, you know, secret about your company and how you know unprofessional it is you know to date right unprofessional in quotes uh because that's somebody's you know assumed definition of that but um but it also I don't think means that like you can't it's okay to own where you're at and I think that's where I I get a little bit of the like uh, come on like really you're just gonna like pretend you're something that you're not because someone somewhere along the line some entrepreneurial guru told you "Fake it take it till you make it it. my my mantra has always been make it till you make it which is that you're constantly building and you are making the things that you need to get where you want to go to be quote-unquote
1: my favorite is uh is uh i the one when i didn't quite understand was hustle harder (laughs) <laughs> i didn't quite understand why that was profound but i also felt like i kind of i was kind of like that solves the problem of someone not hustling hard enough but i don't know that that's a lo- i don't know that that's most startups it might be but uh i feel like hustle harder i feel like people are already putting in a lot of time into their businesses and i'm just at some point it's like maybe it's time to hustle smarter. Maybe. So I, so that, that was one that personally I'm just like, and maybe it's because of who I am. I'm just like, well, I want to, I want to find better ways to gain long-term like, like operational speed, you know, maybe not worry so much about, um, you know, okay, more time away for my family, more time, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so that's, that's my favorite one, but I'm really interested in, in, uh, <clears throat> I'm really interested in, uh, in talking about Ben's experience. So, so Ben, you started, you started a real estate business in New York city. Uh, first of all, tell us, uh, tell us when that was because I think the timing was really interesting. And then also, uh, tell us how much you knew about real estate
2: going into it. So it was, uh, we started planning that in 2009. Um, and I had been doing uh, commercial real estate investment sales for about three or four years at that point. Um, so I was a, a sales broker for buildings um, in New York and through the boroughs. Um, and how much did I know about real estate? Um, I knew everything outside of property management. Uh, I, real estate. I knew, you know, properties and how to underwrite them on a, on a fluffy number per square foot um, as an average uh, and I understood valuations and, um, and I had no experience with the bricks. And uh, so you knew
1: everything, I, the actual job that
2: you were creating. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, I that. And I, and it kind of came about because I had started there, I think, uh, end of '05 or early 06. And um, in 2008, you know, things definitely changed. And, you know, I was doing BOVs for banks on properties, but there was just, you know, the transactions were way down. Um, and I had kind of noticed something that I didn't really know what to do with, which is that everyone complained about their property management companies. And there were no new ones. but It was just thought, and that was really it. Um, I had gone out to lunch with a friend of mine. He uh, was at a uh, private equity and debt shop that went under. Um, he was trying to figure out what to do next, and he kind of threw out, you know, hey, you know, I was thinking about property management, and I was like, uh, it's so funny, I was thinking about that too. It's like, you know, what do you know about it? It's like, well not really anything, but, you know, I, I, definitely understand, you know, real estate and I know a lot of people and I understand them as investments. And I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> like, all right, we have that covered between the two of us. Um, and he's like, you know, but it's, it's learnable. And so we said, okay, let's, let's do it. We felt like we could, you know, felt like we could get hired. Um, that was actually kind of the, the ultimate stimulus. So I was like, I feel like you know, I the kind of client relationships I, I developed, which was a nice, slow sell, uh, would lend itself to some of them maybe hiring us to manage the properties. And and so we started planning and we, uh, you know, I think between the two of us, we probably put in five or six grand. Um, we bought a couple of computers, computers, um, business cards incorporated, which is expensive to do out there. And uh, and that was it. And we somehow got our, someone to hire us. Um, and then we worked very hard and did a great job because they were our only client, um, learned a lot. And, uh, and then got our second client, end of 2010, a big one, and we hired a bookkeeper, went back to making nothing. And that was really our, our path. It was very organic. Mm-hmm. Did that answer the question? Yes. <laughs> Is that company yeah. still going on today? Yeah, it is. Um, in two thousand and eighteen, I sold my half the company. We had uh, hundred and thirty five employees at that time um, and they uh, they I think last year they acquired another smaller company, and I think they're now in the top twenty or top fifteen largest management companies in New York city. so you
1: awesome. ex you exited
2: exited. I did.
1: It was a pretty like
2: cool thing. It's like a badge of honor, right? In startups. It is, it is. Um, but this was not, um, when we, when you talk about startups, we really didn't, uh, I don't think we fit the mold that, that flashy wear likes to use, you know, that, you know, a startup is a, a start, an insane rat race for, you know, a certain rate of growth and then, uh, an exit. And you know, ours was, we were, he started up a business and then he, he grew it. You know, we, we didn't have any investors. Um, I often refer to it as, uh, sandal strapped, which uh, <laughs> goes I like, like a, a notch, a notch below bootstrapping. It's like, is it cause you couldn't afford the boot? Sock strapped. It's like yeah, if you can't afford the it's, boot. It's a sandal strap. <laughs> yeah. Socks and Tiva strapped. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> So, I mean, it was real scrappy. I mean, like our first office was a 10 by 10 room with no windows and we borrowed it from someone cause we renegotiated his HVAC contract, which we didn't know how to do. So we just looked at it and renegotiate. I mean, it, it was just, it was all very, very scrappy. Um, but that's how we grew. That's always how we grew. So
3: yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so what's, uh, what's, so you wait, you're from here, right? Yeah,
2: I grew up here. Um, I went to university of Michigan and then, uh, after that I went to New York, not for real estate though. Uh, I went to Columbia dental school for one semester and a day, uh, and then passed my classes barely and immediately withdrew and then, you know, then I fell into real estate. That's so there for almost 14
3: years. So what so what
1: brought you what brought you back to Arizona? Uh the
2: the true answer is um lifestyle and family, which is not uh you know, not the most exciting answer. Um but I, being in a location like New York, or any of these, you know, top markets that um, people in the tech world will push you to, um, the, the way of life creates an even steeper hill to climb. Uh, you know, I, I I needed to live in a house. I didn't want to live in an apartment um, anymore. And so, you know, I had a house in New Jersey, and I was commuting in and out to the city every day. And Um, I caught the five something AM train and, um, you know, I even left my office at 5 PM to be home by six something. And I was, uh, I was always rushing. I was always late and, uh, there was not genuinely not enough hours. And so I, I, think, um, it, it got to the point where I, it was just unmanageable. Um, some people are okay with it. I just, uh, I'm someone that wants to be, you know, being with family and seeing my life, seeing my kids is, is important to me, uh, I'm with something left in the tank. And, uh, I really got to that point where I, I hit my ceiling. And so, uh, you know, Arizona was a really obvious choice.
3: Interesting. So, so. I've heard, I've heard
1: people talk about work, work-life balance before, and since we're kind of contrasting New York and Arizona, because that's your experience, I'm kind of curious, and i would interested in Mike, you too. Uh, so does, is, is a work-life balance, does that cost your business? Or do you think that a work-life balance can actually improve the business side as well? Is it just like a compromise in order to be a whole person? or can it sometimes actually benefit your business as well? Does that make sense, the the contrast that I'm making?
3: Because on one side- Yeah. Yeah. I I would say that there's a
2: personal cost. I wouldn't say that there's a cost to the business. I think they're different things. Um, I I think it's unrealistic to think that, if you weren't spending that much more time and effort and intention on your business, um, that it wouldn't, uh, that you shouldn't be, uh, compensated for that, or you shouldn't be rewards for that financially for the business. Um, and so I, I, I do think that, um, the way it should be is, you know, if you're giving less compared to someone else, um, and they're making more sacrifices that, uh, you know maybe they should have a bigger stake but for the company itself it just means that you know because someone needs to pick up that slack right so assuming that we're talking about there's a certain amount of output and either i'm putting forth all of that myself or i'm putting forth two-thirds or three-fourths and someone else has to pick that up um it's just a function of the company itself i i, I don't think is hindered if if you know you're you're trying to strike that work-life balance. And I think overall you'll, you'll get happier employees. You'll get less turnover. Um, I could talk to you for an hour about turnover and the, the damages cause and how expensive it is. Um, so I just, I, but it, I do think it's a personal trade-off that most people don't um, don't really consider. And for me, it was always a mantra of uh, I'm, I'm going to be accessible to family, and I'm going to prioritize that, and I'm not going to wait till my kids are too old to want anything to do with me to learn that lesson. Um, I, I don't think early on I understood that I would need to, that um, there is a cost to that, that I, I would have to kind of give something up. Like okay, you, you can't have it all, for, unless you're
3: really, really smart, which I'm not. So... I think that was something I had to accept. So so that kind of gets us to part of
1: the next question and Mike, i jump in please. Um, but uh, so <clears throat> the next question kind of has to do with why a company would start in Arizona versus say New York. And as you we were talking, it, it occurred to me, how would you sell investors on, we want to start up in Arizona versus like the bay area or a new york or something like that why would why would it make sense and i think you just made a case that there are some company cultures that would really benefit from a better work-life balance for their employees they would ha- they would see less turnover you know there would be some other advantages like that are there other advantages that you know that arizona offers uh, over new york from a business perspective from a startup perspective
2: uh, yeah, um, I mean, it's a right to work state, and uh, you know uh, the worst stories I have uh, on running business in a state like New York, where um, you are at times really not in the power position when it comes to employees and um, you know uh, how to terminate someone, you know often was a gauntlet of you know trying to make sure you do it absolutely perfectly. And all someone ever had to do was to kind of claim foul play. And the, uh, the legal system in New York made it so that uh, defending a perfectly correct position um, often was a bad business decision. And so you found yourself at times with with people and we even saw this with tenants that would take advantage of that, um, they knew, they knew that, you know, the cost of defending it, where even if you win, you are not recouping legal fees. You're not getting that time back. Um, it just wasn't worth it. And so it, I, I feel like in Arizona, um, you know, it's, it's a little more, uh, business friendly, uh, from that perspective, uh, not to mention, obviously the lower cost of living, you know, results in lower salaries. Um, but I, that's been one of the biggest kind of differences I've seen is just, you know, you're not, you're not afraid of your employees and you can, you know, you can coach them and when they've done something wrong, you can tell them. And you, when they've done something right, you can tell them without fear of them, you know, taking that, uh, that positive reinforcement and using it against you if you ever need to terminate them. Uh, it's, it's very different.
1: Is there a cultural, uh, advantage does that affect culture positively or negatively when you're able to um maybe have those more uh you know being that power position it can sound to some people like oh now i can take advantage of people but it more sounds like um it allows you to kind of be you know run the business how you want to run the business and be a little more straight with people and um what do you think is there a cultural advantage
3: to that um, yeah, I mean,
2: look, when you say proposition, it's no different than hiring, you know, if you're hiring a, a painter to come and paint your house, uh, you'd like to be able to, you know, have some input and tell them maybe to, you know, do it a certain way or what to paint, what not to paint. So, you know, I, I know that might sound um, uh, like a dictatorship when you talk about power, but it's, it's really just what the fundamentals of a relationship should be. Right? I mean, you know, people need employees. And so the employee has the power to quit and go work somewhere else if they're not happy. Um, but it, it at that time created kind of a, a conflict, but I think as far as the culture, um, and you know, how that dynamic impacts your ability to, uh, to, to have employees and, and to adequately adequately manage them. Um, I, I just, I think it allows for a level of, of honesty that is, um, you know, for me, much more effective. Because if you're not able to correct someone, then, you know, play this out. The mistake continues, it compounds, you become more and more frustrated. And if you can't really, you know, talk to them and and fix it, um, eventually it's just going to explode. And in the same way that if you have to like write up someone for infractions, Um, because you need to create a paper trail. That also creates kind of an adversarial difficult relationship. So I I, I think it it just helps for uh, a more open dialogue and I think at least just gives everyone uh, more of a chance. It gives the employee better opportunity to improve and grow and fit to what you're looking for and gives you the opportunity to kind of be able to communicate that freely and help them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Mike, were you going to say something?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think at the end of the day, like speaking to the culture aspect, Ben, I think it's been kind of really interesting to get that perspective of like the, almost the bureaucratic challenges that can be imposed from outside of the company and how when you remove some of those challenges, it actually gets the culture more focused on like, how do we get back to work? Right? Right we have an issue. We need to work through it, but how do we do that in a way that gets both, you know, the company and the employee back to like doing what you want to be doing. Right. Which is ultimately like, we want to hit our, we want to achieve our goals. We want to like pursue our vision and our mission as an organization and as an individual, like what are my individual goals? And you know, how do we, how do we get those aligned with the company? And I've seen that um, both in our organization and in others uh, that just, when you can be focused, you can be candid about, you know, how it's not about like us and you, it's about like, how do we get back on the path that we were already on, right? Maybe we've gotten off track a little bit, either through like misunderstanding a performance issue, wrong skills, wrong seat kind of thing. And if you've got to play kind of some kind of dance <laughs> in order to, to get back on track, right? Like it actually starts to develop a culture of inefficiency, right? Where the culture is now, it's more about these bureaucratic processes. And I, I sometimes wonder too, if that's a lot of like, when we talk about like really bureaucratic large businesses and like how the culture there is so like inefficient, and slow. Uh, a lot of that I think is not necessarily like purposeful. I think it's just they have to play by so many different sets of rules. Um, Most of them imposed from external or through some kind of like, well, this department does it this way and this department does it that way. And then over time you develop this like really complex hierarchy of, of rule sets. Um, And now it's a, the culture just becomes like, it's not really about getting things done. It's about navigating the bureaucracy and so
3: yeah
1: i I mean i I, I think i've felt that too yeah i felt felt that too and um when when you it feels like it's kind of like when you have when you're sending an email to somebody and someone's like well copy me in so i can make sure it gets done and you're like well now i feel like i'm tattling i'd rather just have a relationship with this person and work it out ourselves and just earn that respect and earn that trust but now I'm copying someone in and now there's a third party who's watching it. And, and that person, instead of building a relationship with that person, now I have to tattle on them. I have to keep this, this record, you know, of, um, of their wrongdoing so that if I need to fire them, I can, you know, because otherwise I, I, otherwise I leave myself vulnerable. But, uh, I feel like, uh, and this is the reason this is the reason I think this is so interesting is because, uh, up until now, we've more been talking about Arizona as a place that's, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it's, it's inexpensive, right? But if we, can, uh, uh, if we can figure out some of these ways to, uh, to use Arizona's advantages that go beyond just, you know, oh, it's inexpensive. It's, okay, you have less risk as a company because you can, it's a right to work state. But if that becomes something like, well, it impacts your culture. You know, it allows you to have more trusting relationships with people because it's more about the relationship and earning that relationship. That's how you get things done because it's not litigious. You're not, you know, trying to dot all your I's and cross your T's, you know? And so I wonder, I wonder how that could be, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, what, are, are, there, are there other things that you've seen that you really like about Arizona um, for business or for startups
2: in particular? um i think uh again it's it's all for me kind of a comparison um but i i've seen that you you have much greater access to um, larger companies or larger clients that you would have, that you'd like to go after sooner um here or in new york you know in no here here uh i found in new york you you really you know i remember our our first buildings that we managed were you know five six unit walk-ups and we had to take those on for a while until we could get you know larger buildings um there were many options uh, as far as property management companies out there and so i i think here um you know partly due to size uh and kind of Maturity and, and the scale of growth, um, you can talk to the big companies pretty quickly, and you can get to them, and they listen. Um, and that's that. I think is an advantage of being in, you know, let's call it what it is, you know, a, a smaller pond. Um, but I, I, I always go back to it's, it's, you know, a a smaller pond. You still do really well in a in a smaller pond. Um, and you probably have a greater chance of success, uh, and getting the bigger pond is a little easier if you already have conquered a small pond. Um, and so, you know, again, going to that, that rate of growth question, um, it's, uh, part of it, I think has
3: to do with risk tolerance. Do you think that's simply only a, a matter of like,
0: you know, competition scale of, of, competition here, or is there also, I don't know, I, I'm just asking, but like, is there, is there a cultural difference too of like companies here just more
3: open?
2: You know, I'm uh, again, if I'm, I'm comparing only one non-New York place to sure. New York, um, and that's relevant, uh, so could, you know, Vegas or Austin or Dallas, you know, have the same experiences, you know, I I can't say, Um, but I, I think so. Um, You know, I, I think often, you know, relationships that you might be trying to um, infiltrate uh, are not as, not as long. Uh, They're not as old. They're not as established. Um, And, but what I go so far as to kind of play into the, the culture and the politeness of, you know, one market to another. I don't think so, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I think in New York, it was just more of like, you know, what, 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 what do you got? Um, You know, like, okay. 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 Just, just tell me, you know, what are you, what are you telling me? Um, okay. Uh huh. How much And do you do this? Do you do this, do this, Do do this? Do do this? Yes, no, yes, no. Okay. Here's my. Is my answer as to whether I'll look at this more. Um, so I, I think there was a bit less of, of a relationship. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, it was just about what, what are you offering? Mm-hmm. And I, I, think here, uh, people seem to have a little more time. Um, they know will talk to you and uh, so you can, you know, use common ground at times uh, when necessary.
0: I've, I've definitely seen that here. Um, yeah, I'm always curious like how much of that is like circumstantial to just the market. And, you know, if there's fewer competitors out there hassling them, <laughs> then maybe they're more open to a conversation more open to a relationship kind of style of, of pitch rather than, you know, if you're in New York, like you're getting hit 24 seven by people all day. And Hold so they back kind back. of turn into a transactional, just out of necessity, right? Like, hey, I, I have to treat this transactionally because there's like 40 other people lined You're the up. Fifth
2: call, yeah. You're the fifth call I got today about this.
0: Yeah, and that's less so here. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've also wonder too if it's like kind a little bit of the like transplant culture that we have here, where, like you said most people don't have these like really deep long established relationships um you know there at most there's like a generation or maybe two for those that have been here multiple generations with their business um but for a lot of people it's like they've only entered into this like you know into this this particular microcosm of society in the last like 10 or 20 years um And so they don't have these like really deep, you know, longstanding relationships. And I hear that from a lot of people like that come here that start that, you know, build businesses or do startups here is that they felt like, wow, this is like a super open community. Like I was able to establish myself and build relationships a lot quicker than I have in other places. And I've always been curious, like, what are the, you know,
3: what's, what's behind that, right? Like sure it's a lot of different things, but, so, um, you know,
1: or maybe it's just you know Frank Sinatra's, uh, you know. Pay. I mean, if you can do it in New York, you can do it anywhere. So maybe that's supposed to be the hardest place to do anything, you know. Hardest place to have relationships, start a business. Uh, so I want to do something that's a little different than what we've done before, and I want to attempt to take what we've discovered, which I think are two really cool insights. Uh, and then see if we can turn them into something that can maybe businesses can use now or startups can use now. And um the two things that I wrote down, so tell me if I'm missing one that you guys liked, but um there's less red tape, and we have the right to work example. And um what I heard was that could that could potentially create uh create some uh better relations between people, better growth for employees, uh better accountability, and then also the ability to talk to bigger companies sooner. And then Ben something you mentioned toward the end of what you were saying was if you're doing in a smaller pond, I mean, initially you, you told me what was counterintuitive to me, which is that, Oh, you go to New York and if you can do it in New York, you can do it anywhere. So you start in New York, right? And then you go from New York out. But what you said was you can potentially start a company in a smaller pond, like, uh, like Arizona or Phoenix. And, and then that could give you kind of the ladder you need to get to that point where you're professional enough. You've had the incubation time that you need, um, to maybe grow
3: and, um, and get into that bigger pond. What, what, uh, what can company, how can,
1: how, how companies use these insights in Arizona?
2: Um, this is a free for when they're, when they're, when they're already here, or is this about they're sitting with a map and they're deciding where to go? Yeah, I think, uh,
1: the, the map thing's
2: the, the fun one, but, um,
1: I say, uh, let's say, let's use people who are here as a model and just say, you're starting up in Arizona. What should you be? How should these things encourage you? Uh, and then maybe how do you, how do, how should this affect planning? for your company?
3: How might this affect your future? Um,
2: I, I think, you know, firstly to uh, maybe not be insecure about being in Arizona. Um, I, I think that uh, I've, I've definitely felt that that insecure, like I don't feel it, but I, I, I see it around me and I, I sense it that it's, well, how do you overcome being in Arizona? Um, and you know, I even, I had some guys say to me literally, like, you know, I just, I don't believe in tech startups out of, uh, out of Arizona. Um, and I, I feel like we're, uh, a bit past that. Um, and so same way, you know, in the beginning of a company, sometimes you, you kind of push the concept that you're small and you're hungrier than everyone else and that you're nimble. Um, at a certain point, you change your narrative, and you don't sell that concept, and you don't sell that idea, and you start talking about that, you know, you're not small, and you, you know, you talk about the small companies. So, you know, uh, it, it's really kind of where, first of all, just being comfortable that you're in, it's a real place, it's a real market, uh, you know, people are not riding horses up and down the street. Um, it's, you know, it's it's a city and it works and there's a whole industry here for the taking and so that would be kind of the first thing um and beyond that i i I think that you know just taking advantage of the benefits whether you know or you're familiar with the fact that it might be harder to operate a business elsewhere um you know learn to do it here because this is where you are okay so understand and and learn those um, the way of doing business here. You know, I, I had to kind of retrain myself when I when I moved here in certain respects of how to manage uh, how to manage people. Um, and I, I I think it is a luxury to be able to start off, you know, having a, a healthier relationship with employees. Um, and then I uh, people should take advantage of you know the pro Arizona startup community that exists. You know that doesn't exist elsewhere. You know, when I, was, when I was in New York, there wasn't, uh, you know, a big support, you know, community for New York startups um, that uh, didn't really exist. There's a lot of people telling you to run. Um, so in Arizona, it seems like there are significant resources put towards promoting this. And I, I think it's probably born out of that insecurity I was talking about. Uh, but it's there. So people might, you know, might as well take advantage. I heard you say that, but I didn't, I didn't, it surprised
1: me because I've heard people talk about how like complain a little bit about the startup community here, but you're saying that compared to New York, just the fact that there
2: is one is, (laughs) is more than Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I'm, um, uh, I don't really take part uh, that much in the Phoenix startup community. I'm a little busy starting up, um, (laughs) but it's a good excuse. <laughs> but it exists. It exists, yep. right? And so, you know, for those that, that want it, um, it's there. And it, it, it was there in New York. I didn't know about it. Uh, and so I, I do think that that's unique. Um, and, and there's just, you know, there are state resources and, and local municipal resources being put towards that.
1: Um, Mike, do you mind if I throw that question to you as well? Um, just about the, you know, how do how do businesses use that red tape? Um, you're a you're a small business owner as well in Arizona. You're a leader in the startup community with Startup Week. Um, I wonder if you'd chime in as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I Ben, I think nailed nailed a lot of the same thinking that I've had over the last few years about just kind of these advantages that we have here and how to, how to take advantage of them. Um, And I think just kind of reiterating, but maybe building on what you said, Ben around, you know, Mm -hmm. getting past that like chip on your shoulder that you're not somewhere else, right. You're not in San Francisco. You're not in New York. You're not in this like major, Uh, You know, first first tier city, and that somehow your your company or your brand is worth less because of that. Um, I'm I'm seeing that starting to wear off, but it's still there. There's still a lot of startups in our community here who kind of still struggle with that. Um, And I think that I think should lead us to instead say no. Like I'm in not a first tier city and yet I can make it, right? And every single person I want to reach out to here is that much closer, right? And that should give us confidence, that should give us uh, an ability to just jump in and say, look, whatever I gotta do, it's actually easier to do here, right? Um, with one caveat, and I would still say, uh, Ben, I'd love to hear your experience with this, and I know this may not, uh if you're more of the sandal strapped type maybe this doesn't matter as much i mean the one big kind of uh complaint i always hear from founders is access to capital although i think that's finally starting to shift um in the last few years uh here in arizona and so like yeah okay maybe there's something to be said around like okay access to capital right that's my one hang up with being in arizona if that's your that's your issue from a founder standpoint. Um, but even that, I think, you know, we live in a world where like, you know, people are pretty accessible and we just watched over the last three months, uh, the entire world become pretty flat. Um, you know, like geographic location really doesn't matter anymore for a lot of things. Um, there's definitely still relationship building is always easier when you can look somebody in the eyes across the table from you. Um, And that's just, that is intrinsically a little bit more difficult digitally and all that much more so if your relationship you're trying to build is with somebody who really doesn't want to be that accessible uh, as most investors, you know, appropriately don't want to be. Um, Otherwise, uh, yeah, they get I can't imagine that kind of lifestyle if you want to be super accessible uh, and say that you have money to give uh, to invest. (laughs) Um, but we're starting to mature. I'm seeing a lot of like resources and tools available now for startups. that Even five years ago, didn't exist. There's plenty of investor groups, uh, especially around angel investing, kind of like really early seed, seed investing. The VC community is still very small here, but I think that's, um, I'm seeing some really good traction being built with VCs outside of Arizona that groups like GPAC and ACA and, other private entities are trying to build those relationships and saying, "Look, those VCs might not be here, but we can still you know provide relationship building that allows startups to access them more easily and still be here. Um, and even in like a, a not very <laughs> not a super uh, uh, structured data gathering session there were about 40 startups that i was a part of uh, a session with 40 different founders um back in january and they they were each asked to just provide like give us your two second um how did you fundraise right how much money would you say roughly you got from inside arizona versus outside arizona um and i was actually really surprised the the majority of companies actually said that they raised the majority of their funding from inside Arizona from investors here. Um, and that was very surprising to me. Um, so I, I think there's a shift happening, um, in that regard too, where it's like that insecurity really just, it, it's a purely in your head insecurity. And it's some kind of perception that I think people get, especially I see it with founders who, um, like Ben, I think your experience is really interesting because you've you found it outside Arizona, right? You found it in New York, um, and you talk about a big pond. Uh, there is no bigger, um, and at least in the U.S. <laughs> um, you know, and then you come back and you get that that benefit of seeing like, oh, here's all the challenges that I actually had in New York, right? Versus founders I know who founded first here in Arizona kind of have this like perception of all the benefits of being in a, you know, oh, if, I, if only I was in Silicon Valley, if only I was in New York, or if only I was in L.A., here's all these benefits that I would have gotten that I'm not seeing here in Arizona or I don't think are here, uh, only to find out when they go, oh, wow, this is like really challenging because now I am the smallest fish in the biggest pond. Um, versus like there's a more right-sized ability to start up here um i don't know i it's been interesting just as we've talked through this like thinking through that like small pond big pond kind of idea that concept and how you can use that smaller pond to your advantage Um, i've always thought that like essentially you're reducing risk right (laughs) that's essentially what you're doing when you start somewhere where there's less competition, where there's easier access to resources and relationships. Um, and for a startup, it's like, man, why would you not want that? Those are all the things that are gonna help you to grow um, in a, it's just like, it's gonna give your probability of success that much more opportunity. So I don't know.
1: So, so um, Ben, so, this, so that's one thing we haven't talked about quite yet. Um, uh, what so tell us about tell us about what you're doing now tell us about your current startup you're running right now
2: Uh, so it's a gig economy platform that is incredibly specialized uh, in the office furniture installation industry uh, as a b2b product for companies that need supplemental labor so uh, our clients are they are installation companies, um, dealers, facility management companies, moving companies, uh, anyone at any time who needs, uh, additional workers to join to assist with a move, but primarily to assist with installing uh, big name manufacturer. Sure. So we started in April, 2019, um, and, uh, have grown, you know, month over month and we. We didn't grow uh march april may Uh, we didn't sink um we were actually pretty close to breaking even each month um but you know part of part of the angle for what we're doing is figuring out how to establish uh really uh, establish culture and loyalty and a gig economy platform Um, because that you know to me that was one of the things i looked at from the start and had a hard time, uh, coming up with an answer to, and, uh, what I finally settled on was to, uh, to earn it, um, rather than more, you know, what, what events can be run or what can we off, you know, what, what, what part of a structure can exist to, you know, how do we get people to care about this? Um, and. Kind of came down to just uh, treating people really, really well and assuming, hoping that that would um, translate into a a rational transaction between two, where they care about uh, the the work we send them, um, and you know we we pay them twenty to forty percent more than they generally make anywhere else. We pay them every single night. Um, we uh, we do the right thing, uh, which can mean a lot of different things, and and um, we'll, we will uh, we'll pay the cost uh, to do the right thing. And uh, we, we also understand and believe that to be a good business decision. And so a, a big part of our culture has been, you know, how do we shake that, um, that, con- that pers- perspective and, and kind of misconception that when you're in the gig economy, it's, everyone's flaky. And you know, people are all over the place, how can you depend on them? uh we've we've you know been pretty successful now we have a 98.5% uh show up rate which is really high uh compared to
3: other a lot of other companies that's fantastic i love that like kind of people first approach uh building trust through you know putting them making sure they're valued uh you know it's um
2: uh, it's good for business. And I, I hate to, you know, I don't want to cheapen uh, kind of how uh, charitable or altruistic it, it might initially sound. Um, but it's a luxury to also have the right thing, in my opinion, be the right business decision. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I mean, in the long term, like from a business standpoint, if you want to just boil it down to pure business sense, it's like you're going to build loyalty, right? um, both on your supply side and on the customer side. And that's yeah. like, that's a win for the business. Um, you know, and maybe there's some kind of risk up front or there's some short term cost, you know, to pay that 20 or 40% more than market rate or what they're expecting to get. Uh, there's a, there's a, a perceived risk at least. Um, but if it's from a long-term perspective, you see that, like, oh no, we make that back, you know, <laughs> tenfold because we're not, you know,
2: retraining
0: people over and over and over again, because they keep yeah. dropping out.
2: So. Well, and it's, it's, it's mostly about perceived risk, but partially about perceived ceiling. And, um, I think when you may look at, uh, the projections for a company like ours and compare them to projections of a company that may not take that same approach um i will tell you that their projections uh might show bigger numbers in you know three four or five years i can also tell you that they are not factoring in an appropriate churn and so you know it when you talk about you know cam and and just kind of well how are we going to grow what kind of revenue can we hit um it's really more that when companies take a different approach, it's on paper, it looks very impressive. It just, it doesn't play out like that. It, it, it it really doesn't. Um, and so the hard thing, you know, no one wants to put that in underwriting because, uh, in the world of nonsense rejections, it's not, you know, really as relevant and no one likes to pay attention to that because all we care about is revenue. Um, but you know, it's, it's real and, um,
3: you know, yeah. No churn is churn is the killer of most businesses, right? I mean, you look at
2: almost any business. Employee, yeah, employee churn, client yep. churn, like vendor churn. Even I yep. mean, it's all everything takes time. Yep, and those are
0: the things that kill, right? Like if you can if you can work the churn out of the business, now all of a sudden it's like uh, you're not having to rely purely on customer acquisition or talent acquisition or vendor acquisition right like those are and those are extremely expensive endeavors in business right um you know you can look at study after study that shows like the gross it's like the gross uh extreme amount of expense you put into finding and acquiring a new customer versus keeping an existing customer right um, and yet where does most of the marketing and sales budget go in most businesses, it goes towards the ex- it goes towards new acquisition, right? Um, now there's some sense to that because it is that expensive, right? So you have to invest a lot if you're going to acquire new customers. Um, but the same thing goes on the talent side, right? If you have employees or you have vendors, right? Those are those are highly expensive relationships to onboard and offboard, and so if you're having to do that less often, you can now reallocate those basically those, those margins increase, right? You build more profit into the business and then you can decide like, well, do we want to reinvest that? How do we want to reinvest that? Um, and so like, I just, yeah, I'm all with you. <laughs> I love talking about churn. Because, like it's one of the unspoken like major issues in most businesses that very few people want to talk about. Cause it's not sexy. It's not fun, right? Like keeping a customer happy isn't really that exciting. I don't get to high five over like keeping somebody, right? The okay. sales team doesn't like get up in the morning because, oh, I kept that customer from last year. Mm-hmm. And yet you look at like, I mean, take like financial wealth, you know, a wealth advisor, right? Where does most of their revenue come from and most of their profit margin? It comes from long standing client relationships that they've had for years and years that cost them very little to facilitate. It's literally like, Hey, one phone call a year. Hey, how you doing? Just want to let you know you're renewing. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's, that's, that's it. Right. And I know guys who, and obviously that's a very microcosm. Like that's a very small microcosm when you're talking like business at scale, right. That's one person developing their own personal business through relationships. Um, and, but I think that scales, right. Like that, that scales up to any kind of size business. Um,
1: well, and the things that you did to to the things that you did to create those relationships, the company you are, the company you've become to have those relationships carries carries out through that. So even when you do have attrition with vendors or clients, there's uh, I mean, I'm just going by experience that I've had, and then experiences at resound as well. I mean, we just see a lot of people benefit from those. You know, not, not just the relationships that are in place and right now, but those relationships that just, they just broke off, but continue to be good relationships, you know, because of that. And when you have that trust, it's like, you know, we talk about the time it takes to rebuild relationships, the time it takes to, you know, to turn over and, and the churn time, if you can reduce the churn time, we're talking about, uh, by just having, just being a company with a great reputation where people already know you by the time they meet you, you know? um, then that's a, that's a great, uh, you know, this is kind of a cost reduction if we want to make it, turn it into banal terms, you know, but, um, is there,
2: well, I want to say something on that before, cause you have your segue face on. Um, so before yes. you segue, uh, it, I, I think <laughs> part of it is, is really being, um, fully committed to, uh, defining and working on problems and so, what I see a lot, and when I've been in you know idea meetings about stuff, um, people often don't, don't even realize it, but it's all about solutions. Um, and they're they're they talk about amazing solutions, um, but unless they're solutions to real problems, um, or they're then right they're problem. they're missing the mark. The right problem, or or right. I mean, or it's a problem, but is it a big problem? Yep. And so. You know for us in this we had to do this and continue to on on both sides right so we have to solve problems for the business and we have to solve problems for the workers and not just give them uh solutions or opportunities like we, we really had to to zero in on the problems and so you know from the businesses it's about easy ways to request workers cost savings customized requests uh and from the workers it's you know it's level of compensation flexibility, speed of pay. But I, I, I do see a lot of companies when they are talking about, you know, benefits they offer workers. Um, kind of amazing to me how much money gets spent on benefits for workers instead of just giving them money to the workers. Uh, I, I, it always kind of surprises me where, you know, oh, we can offer these benefits, you can offer this, you can do this. It's, well, just, I think there's a lot of people who would probably just rather get that money themselves and, Maybe It shortens your amenities list as far as what you offer, um, but you may not be solving everyone's problem, right? Or so the root the root you, problem, if, right? It's a perceived if problem. If you give them the money, if you give them the money, um, you ensure that that money for each of them goes to the right problem, mm-hmm. and, and 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 that's kind of been something that we've been very aware of. Uh, to make sure that we are putting forth solutions to actual problems, and not making those assumptions.
1: Interesting. So you're talking about the the difference between, um, oh, our employees want to be compensated more. Okay, well, let's. What are other companies doing? Well, let's throw this at them, you know, and see if that works. Instead, you're saying let's understand exactly why they're. Uh, why they want these things and so that we can give them something that's going to actually meet their needs instead of just being something from a list of
3: benefits that you know potential benefits that we can just buy off the shelf and throw at it up. yeah literally and and, it, and that's
2: in all aspects i mean that's even in dealing with you know clients and deciding where to allocate money and um you just have to be very diligent about allocating resources correctly um mm-hmm and you know it's not incorporating a feature because one client wants it um and it's not you know it's also understanding that sometimes uh better pricing is is the best allocation of resource
0: (laughs) yeah or or digging deeper with that client to really understand why they want that feature um like we've seen that with um we've got a pretty deep partnership with a software company here and and we work with a lot of their customers, and it's really interesting that uh, we get requests that kind of pass along to the software company, and we try really hard to kind of go, okay, well, why exactly do you want that? Because I can't, I can't sell to a software company one like customer's like, desire, right? They gotta see where the benefit is across all of their customers. And as I'm sure you guys know, like if, it, if it's like, hey, this is actually gonna address a problem, that a lot of people are feeling right across our customer base, then yeah, it makes sense for us to roll out a new feature. But if it's just one, it's a one-off isolated issue, um, this doesn't really make sense. And what we found is that like when we take the time to actually like understand the problem and not just like, Oh, at face value, we're going to accept whatever, like the desired feature is. Um, And then we find out like, Oh, there's actually like, a more fundamental problem they're trying to solve that would cross you know, multiple customers across the software companies, the customer base. Um, or there's been opportunity to say, hey, like, have you thought about even the way that you facilitate customer relationships uh, from a packaging and pricing standpoint? Like, some of your customers are highly sophisticated and they want this level of like, customization. You can't have that at the core level of your software Um, but you could create kind of a professional services arm to your business, uh, that would allow these like higher tiered customers, uh, to have, you know, a more customized solution or a more high touch approach and they're willing to pay for it. Right. That's what we're finding. So,
3: um,
0: those are the kinds of things like, like you gotta, you gotta really identify what's the real problem, not just the stated solution (laughs) and then infer the problem from it. I'm sure that's what you're. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just. I'm not saying anything new in this conversation. <laughs> no, that,
1: that's, no, no, that's that's cool. a good. That's a good. Um, that's a good. Re- that's that's good. That well, and what I'm hearing too is I'm trying to bring this together in my head, but what I'm hearing is that so we always talk about Arizona. Some some people talk about Arizona being the Wild West. You know, oh, there's no laws there. Everybody's just savages. You know, riding horses through downtown Phoenix. You oh, know? Okay. and then. Um, and then you hear other people saying, well, but it's low prices, right? Low prices, just things are cheaper here. But I think, the, I think this is where it gets really interesting when we start talking about people using that freedom, using maybe the lack of regulation that makes some people say it's the wild west and basically saying, well, it's a right to work state. What are the advantages to that? Like, you know, what are the advantages to this, you know, perceived or real lack of regulation? And maybe some of that is that ability to just say, okay, well, guess what? If we have less regulation, that means that the companies that are good are going to have to be those true, uh, that the, truly deal with the problems. And so I go back to this idea that um, I heard somewhere that liberal arts education, I think CS Lewis said this, liberal arts education with, is, is meant to teach free people how to function in a free society. And that means that you actually have to know right from wrong and have an idea of values, right? You have to have an idea of right from wrong because there's more freedom to do wrong, right? And so I wonder if we're starting to, and what I'm hearing is um, I wonder if we're starting to get to a spot where in Arizona we're starting to develop some of these you know, leaders who are able just to say, I want to have relationships with my employees. That's how we're going to deal, deal with it. That's how we're going to take advantage of the lack of red tape. We're going to lead. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. We're going to lead. Um, when it comes to solving problems for customers, those same leaders are the same types of people who are going to say, let's understand the problem better. And so I don't know if, I don't know if I'm making all this stuff up or um, if you guys, uh, you know, those are things you guys really said. Um, and then the idea—I don't want to leave out this final idea too—that um, just talking to bigger companies sooner, you know, being able to have this the space to work in, um, being able to talk to the bigger companies sooner, and then pushing to the bigger pond from here. But because of all the things we've talked about, now we're able to build the company we want because there's less pressure, there's more opportunity, there's a little more freedom, there's almost pressure to relate to people because it's not about the the red tape there's almost pressure to, to lead well. And if that's true, then that's pretty cool. You know? And so, um, I wanted to, I wanted to also give you, uh, uh Ben, an opportunity. I wanted to know, is there something that you wanted to share, uh, something that you wanted to just, uh, plug, uh, as we're, as we're kind of wrapping it up here?
3: Um,
2: uh, I would say that, uh, the, the most important thing I'd like to kind of put forth, uh, would, would just be a a, a mindset of how companies, um, treat workers, employees, and, and kind of specifically like the, the skilled labor force. Um, I, I'm shocked often when I kind of hear where a lot of the workers are coming from and what they what they used to make, what their companies used to charge for their time, um, and how they were treated. And uh I as as virtual uh and IT based as our society and culture is, um uh you know, we are still and will be for a long time very dependent upon skilled labor force to 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 make everything run uh and so uh i i think it means that uh companies have to have smaller margins and can get creative um i i i think that companies should kind of really take a look at you know what are fair wages and not just the wages they can get away with paying people without them quitting uh, and that's i'm hoping what people view as their social responsibility out there. That's great. So preachy, more preachy than venture push. I uh, love it. But that's it's been on my mind. Well, as you
1: know, not so like Mike is uh, the marketing person for conscious capitalism, Arizona or anything like that. So I'm sure uh, you're on your own on this call then. <laughs> uh yeah no i i, I love it I, I think uh i think mike and i are both on the same page and that's very
3: cool thanks ben um but we're in the minority <laughs> and don't forget that yeah other, other yep. people need to hear it too yeah
1: yep. i think it's encouraging for people to hear right i mean it's part of what conscious capitalism actually since they came up um is trying to do too is sharing some of those stories and um, so that other people can see what's going on and actually say, hey, maybe this is possible. Maybe it's possible to do it the right way, the way, the way I've wanted to do it, right? The way I dreamed of doing it.
0: No.
3: Um, if, Mike, um,
0: well, I just want to make sure we uh, let people know like, if they want to find out more about Steady Install or
2: about you, Ben, what's the best, what are some good places to send them? Um, they can check out our website at steadyinstall.com. Um, and they can pick up the phone and call us. Uh, I giving my phone number. I mean, uh, our phone number is 602-492-8048. There you go. Just like a good radio ad.
1: That <laughs> reminds me of the, do you guys remember the Empire carpet commercials? Oh, you're yeah. in Chicago, uh, uh, 588-2300 Empire. <laughs> yeah. I think every local I gotta, city. I gotta would... come
2: over the tune to sing my phone number. Yeah. Yeah,
0: totally. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so if people want to find out more about Ben at Steady Install, Steady Install, S-T-E-A-D-Y-I-N-S-T-A-L-L.com. Uh, definitely check that out. I think what you guys are doing is actually really cool. Um, you, know, you talk about a very niche, specialized industry to be providing that kind of like software uh, like connection. Uh, is really cool, and I, I, I'm seeing that more and more. It's been interesting to kind of watch. Like that's a growing market here in Arizona. Uh, there's a number of different companies I've seen who have tried to kind of take their experience managing and recruiting for a specific kind of industry. Um, not necessarily that that's your experience, but um, you know, but taking that and saying, how do we how do we provide that? Um, and make these connections for people easier, right? Taking labor, people who have skills and, and have a service experience and connecting them with people who have projects and have jobs for them. Um, it's interesting that that's coming up more and more here in Arizona. Each, each that I've seen have taken very specialized approach. Like some are very focused on restaurants. Some are very focused on construction uh, you guys obviously are very highly focused and, and niched into, uh, you know, office, uh, office setup, which is
2: really cool. Uh, such a cool idea. It's a, it's a stra- I mean, it's a strategy of, um, preference. Yep. Uh, and I've never been, I've, I've never felt comfortable, um, you know, carrying multiple hats in my bag. Uh, and you know, in the middle of a meeting be like, Oh, Oh really? Like, uh, we have that too. You know, um, <laughs> I, 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 and I, I, think again, it's about your product. Um, and so, you know, the idea that, you know, you, every project you send a worker to um, prepares them and makes them that much better for the next one they go on,
3: sure.
2: you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's more thorough and I, I think you can have deeper, stronger relationships. And I think your product's better. You know, there's a lot of platforms and it's everything under the sun. Yep. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, if you know someone with a pulse, I, we go lots of guys with pulse. Yep. So, you know, I, I, that's just what I'm comfortable with and what yeah. I believe in. No, I think it's, I think it's, uh, not only
0: good, but also very smart. <laughs> so, That's great. So
2: far, it seems smart. We'll see.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll be be rooting for you, and uh, we'll keep in touch for sure, Sure. for sure. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for kind of just brain dumping with us and sharing a lot of your experience, some of which is uh, super recent, some of it not so much. Uh, Thanks for kind of pulling back and jumping into the archive. Uh, We appreciate that a lot.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Yeah. Uh, So yeah, just a quick wrap up here for everybody. Uh, We just want to thank Ben for, for being with us today. Um, Also, if uh, you know, this is another episode of AZ Brandcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, definitely check us out on azbrandcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there back in the archive and we've got tons and tons of conversations just like this that we've had with Ben, uh, with lots of other founders, CEOs, presidents, uh, people who are leading businesses here in Arizona and trying to get their perspective on our state and what the advantages and values are here to starting or building a business. Um, It's been a fantastic experience for Chris and I as we've kind of got to tap into a lot of really smart people and uh, understand their perspective and start to kind of put together our own kind of perspective on like what does it mean uh to build a business here in arizona hopefully others are getting getting some advantage and learning through that uh maybe uh, shortcutting some of the process that many people have to spend a lot longer on (laughs) here in arizona so um yeah you can find all of our episodes there you can also find us on itunes all the other places um and again just want to remind everybody like this show is all about finding out about remarkable brands for the purpose of understanding what makes Arizona a great place to to build a business? And so we thank everybody for hanging out with us today, listening to this episode, and we'll catch you next time.
1: The Easy Brandcast is a project of Resound and is recorded in Tempe, Arizona with hosts Mike Jones and Chris Stadler. It's produced and edited by Sam Pegel. Music is produced and provided by Pabrid, an Arizona-based music group. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and at easybrandcast.com. If you'd like more episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. To contact the show, find out more about Easy Brandcast, or to join our newsletter list to make sure you never miss another episode, check out our website at easybrandcast.com. Copyright
3: Resound Creative Media LLC, 2020.